Hi folks, Michael Howie here. Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, is growing. We're seeing a steady increase in the number of people listening, and that means an increase in the number of people learning how to protect wildlife, speak up for the animals, and getting the information they need to be the best advocate possible. To help keep us growing, we're having another subscription contest. All you have to do is subscribe to the podcast on any device or podcast platform, send me a screenshot along with your address, and you'll be entered in a draw to win a gift bag from our friends at Lush Cosmetics, which includes bath bombs, lotions, and more. We'll contact and then announce the winner on next week's episode. Email your screenshot to info at thefurbears.com or send them as a message to me on Facebook or Twitter at The Fender Radio. You can also get more details on those social media channels or on this week's show notes at thefurbears.com. Thanks for listening. This week's episode is supported by the Hardy Hooligan. This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of September 18, 2017, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 446 of Defender Radio. A visit to the aquarium or zoo could be magical as a child. Heck, for a lot of adults, it can still be magical. Seeing species from all over the world up close can be remarkable. Of course, once we realize that these animals are confined in unnatural circumstances, they display neurotic and self-damaging behaviors, and their incarceration rarely, if ever, plays a role in true conservation of their species in the wild, that magic fades. Though many documentaries, non-profits, and passionate advocates are showing that zoos and aquariums are not what we once believed them to be, they still exist, and are sometimes quite popular. But from a total lack of regulation and laws in Ontario leading to alleged acts of cruelty, to the politics and ethics of keeping cetaceans in captivity in British Columbia, the fight for the freedom and even the basic welfare of these animals rages on. Animal Justice, a charity that focuses on using legal resources to pass animal legislation, push for the prosecution of animal abusers, and fight for animals in court, is facing two current issues. In Ontario, allegations of mistreatment at a roadside zoo, and in British Columbia, advocating on behalf of the animals in a court hearing about the Vancouver Aquarium's right to keep captive cetaceans. Camille Labchuk, Executive Director of Animal Justice, joined Defender Radio to talk about both of these cases, the need to create precedent, and how whether we're in the courtroom or on our mobile devices, we can all play a role in the legal fight for the animal's freedom. First, a word from our supporters. When I'm looking for a meal that satisfies my hunger and my ethics, I head to the Hardy Hooligan here in Hamilton. They have incredible vegan versions of egg salad, chicken salad, and tuna salad daily, as well as savory pies, including my favorite, shepherd's pie pasty. They have amazing desserts and even locally roasted coffee in biodegradable cups. The Hardy Hooligan is definitely food worth rioting for. Check them out at 368 Main West in Hamilton, right by Lock Street, or find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at thehardyhooligan.com. 
there are two cases animal justice is kind of involved in right now. Um, and they happen very close together, actually, but in very different parts of the country. I thought we could start with the uh, the aquarium, uh, Vancouver Aquarium, because it's the more recent of the two by a couple of days. Um, so could, could you outline what's happening with the, the BC Supreme Court, Animal Justice and Zoo Check and the Vancouver Aquarium right now? Absolutely. <clears throat> so your listeners, of course, will know that keeping whales and dolphins in captivity for the purpose of entertainment is becoming wildly unpopular. Public attitudes on that issue are changing like nothing that we've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And in response to people saying, yeah, it's not okay anymore, the Vancouver Park Board told the Vancouver Aquarium that it can no longer keep whales and dolphins in captivity at that facility. So it said, that's it, you're done. No more whales and dolphins. There's now a ban on um, that activity. And of course, the park board can do that because the Vancouver Aquarium is in Stanley Park, which is city property. Mm-hmm. And so this has been a contentious issue in Vancouver for years. People have always been concerned about cetaceans. And finally, the political atmosphere and the mood on the park board was right for this move to happen. And it was really, really exciting and gratifying for all the amazing animal advocates out there who've worked so hard to protect these animals for so long. So they passed the ban, and that's all wonderful. But uh, only a few weeks later, of course, the Vancouver Aquarium filed a challenge in court to the ban. Uh, So they're judicially reviewing the park board's decision, and they're saying a bunch of things. They're saying that it's unfair to them. They're saying that procedures weren't followed appropriately. They're saying they had a contract with the city. And the thing that is most interesting and concerning to us at Animal Justice is the last thing they're saying, which is that it's their charter right as a form of expression to confine whales and dolphins in captivity. And of course, the government can't infringe on people's charter rights. And they're saying that this bylaw does infringe their free expression by banning them from keeping whales and dolphins in captivity. Now, to us and to anybody on the street who hears about this, it's a pretty disturbing argument because, you know, essentially they're asking for a charter right to abuse animals. Yeah. What we know about keeping whales and dolphins in captivity is that it's an inherently abusive and violent activity. Uh Animals suffer significantly. These are wide-ranging, deep-diving, really complex, sentient, intelligent marine mammals who have very complex social lives and social structures. They have cooperative hunting strategies in many cases. They live in large social groups. They travel long distances. And the stimulation that they would have in a natural setting in the ocean just pales in comparison to anything that they have inside concrete tanks in the Vancouver Aquarium. And we're so concerned about this argument that we decided to try to intervene in the case. Because if the court were to agree with the aquarium and find that it is a charter right to confine wells and dolphins, that could spell the end to all kinds of progressive animal legislation right across the country. Mm -hmm. And it really could leave new laws vulnerable to challenge. Yeah, and that's actually, uh, that's when you hear, and I, you'll know the actual legal cases I'm referencing, but when you hear someone kills a cat for art, um, would that not, like, if this challenge were to be successful, would that create a constitutional right for that person to do that? It certainly would not be a helpful precedent. And you're right, sometimes we hear people make claims about 
freedom of expression when it comes to earth using animals. Sometimes it's freedom of religion claims with mm-hmm. respect to religious sacrifice. There's actually a couple of disturbing cases out of Ontario in, in Windsor. Windsor passed an anti-circus bylaw at one point in the early 2000s. And that bylaw was struck down by the courts for a bunch of different reasons that we don't really need to get into. But if the case was decided today, because some laws have changed at the provincial level, uh, likely the ban would have been upheld, or at least it would have had a better chance. But one argument the court did accept in that case is that circus performances involving animals are a form of expression. Hmm. So when you think about the fact that there's at least some precedence for this type of argument that the aquarium is making, it becomes even more concerning to us. Now, I think there's a huge difference between a performance of an animal, which does involve some human input and some expressive activity. Um, it's, it's less unreasonable than saying just the act of confining whales and dolphins is somehow expression, but it's concerning nonetheless. Yeah, and that's... I. Uh... I don't know even where to go with that. That's just, it's one of those things that's like, oh, well, you know, we can do what we want because the sky is blue. Um, and it's, it's, I, you know, that just, it makes no sense in a very logical way, but sometimes the law isn't always logical, I guess. No, it's not. It doesn't always make a lot of sense. And in those cases where it doesn't make sense, especially for animals, I'm really deeply grateful that our supporters um, allow us to do the work to get in there and try to make the laws yes. <laughs> better and reasonable and, and more functional and protective of animals. And I think this is one of those cases where really a judge needs to hear about the perspective of the animals in the situation. And um, that's so uh, I guess I didn't mention this explicitly, but animal justice filed an application to intervene in the case so we could talk about the freedom of expression argument. And a judge just last week accepted that we should be there in the courtroom and that we have something useful to contribute. So we will be intervening in that case. And I'm really grateful that we were given that opportunity because I think it's very important for judges, for courts to know that animals have interests and hear from someone in the courtroom like us that's there to represent those interests. Absolutely. And that's one thing that we actually end up doing on the media side of things too a lot is talking about making sure that the animal's perspective is in some way reflected. Uh, and it's not always easy, but there certainly is one and there's there's ample science to show that animals that we're dealing with, um, you know, whether it's, it's coyotes and foxes and raccoons or whales and dolphins and uh, everything else, they, they do have, as you said, you know, complex social lives and... Uh, they, there's even some evidence that they have culture in some cases, uh, culture just like we do. Like it's it's remarkable. Um, so it is very good that they are. The judge has said yes, there is value to hearing this, uh, and I think that itself may set a precedent. Definitely. Well, I'm I'm really pleased that more groups are going to court on animal issues these days, and and making that case that animals have legal interests that must be protect, protected. Now, with animal justice, we've intervened in a number of cases now, including before the Supreme Court of Canada. And I know at Furbearers, you've launched a judicial review of um, some matters in the province of British Columbia involving conservation officers indiscriminately killing bear cubs. And I'm really pleased that that was happening as well, because we see these claims coming before decision makers and sensitizing the judiciary and politicians to this idea that people care about animals. And politicians, legislatures, the courts have to take their interests into account. And I want to talk a little more about that, but let's shift over to the other case that you're working on. This one is 
uh, very upsetting to anyone who who has a, a sensitivity to uh, abuse of, of wildlife or of any other animal. Uh, and I do not recommend watching the video, which I will link to in the show notes. But uh, unless you have a uh, capacity to be able to watch this without ha- having any kind of negative impact on yourself, uh, I don't suggest you do. But this has to do with uh, the Papanak Zoo near Ottawa. And this is something that I, I knew very little about for a long, long time. And I think it's through Animal Justice, through Zoo Check, um, uh, the Animal Legal Defense Fund. I've spoken with them about this. But these, these sort of roadside-style zoos. Uh, so could you walk us through um, this, this case? Sure, sure. So Ontario, unfortunately, is considered the national capital for roadside zoos. And what do we mean when we say the word roadside zoo? That typically is used to refer to a zoo that has very poor standards that uh, would not be as well-funded as perhaps some of the larger zoos that are owned by municipalities or government agencies or large, significant nonprofits. But Ontario is just peppered with zoos on the side of the road in smaller communities that perhaps do not have the highest standards of animal care. And Papanak Zoo is, is considered one of these by animal advocates. So it's just about an hour east of Ottawa, and it, um, we received some footage taken at the Papanak Zoo last summer just showing very disturbing situations involving animals. There was a lot of stereotyping performed by animals, so this is repetitive types of behaviors like pacing back and forth over and over again, like rocking against the bars of a cage mm-hmm. uh, that were performed by a number of animals, including primates and large cats, a baby coyote, a squirrel monkey. And these behaviors, uh, it's hard to draw conclusions in any one case, but experts typically say that stereotypies are often a sign of severe psychological disturbance. So that's one thing that was seen. Uh, another thing that was seen is baby animals being taken away from their mothers at a very young age so they can be used as props for zoo visitors to take selfies with. Now, this is not uncommon at all in the zoo industry. In fact, the Bowmanville Zoo, which closed last year after its owner, Michael Hackenberger, was caught on camera whipping a tiger. They have a very long history of doing this as well and recently reopened it under a new name. Um, and are now using lion clubs again for selfie props. So this is something that's standard in the zoo industry. And as a general proposition, um, zoo animals' lives are not their own. They are used like pieces of property by the people who own the zoos. They take animals away from their families. They sell off animals who might be in family groupings or friend groupings. And um, this is just how animals are treated in those situations. And one of the last disturbing things that we saw that I'll talk about is some animals being used in a photo shoot for a TV production. It's a show called Billy Goes North. It's a show about this guy called Billy who calls himself an exterminator. It's a highly staged so-called reality show. And the animals from Papanak Zoo, there was a raccoon and a skunk and a bobcat. And they were taken to a photo shoot for promo material for the show. And they had, the, the raccoon and the skunk had their mouths held open with a piece of string. It was inserted between their jaws and pulled back so that their mouth would open. And that was done to make them appear uh, fierce and, and snarling for the camera. Then uh, they were poked and prodded and forced to pose. So really disturbing stuff. It really, I think, reminds people 
and intensifies that feeling that society already has, that it's no longer okay to keep animals in zoos like this, that they should be kept in their natural environments. We should not be confining them simply for the purpose of entertainment. And I uh, really do hope it's contributing to that debate in Ontario and Canada. Yeah, and we have we heard any movement from, uh, I guess the authority would be either uh, Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry, uh, as it involves wildlife, or the Ontario SPCA. After seeing this, which I mean, watching that raccoon, and that's that's the scene that I found highly disturbing, um, watching the, 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 the face get, or the uh, jowls get pulled back and the jaw forced open. Um, like, it's, it's not pleasant to see. And clearly, the raccoon is in distress. Uh, so have there been any movement in that regard? Well, we're still awaiting word. Um, it is incredibly disturbing to witness those fights. One thing in Ontario in particular that's extremely concerning is that Ontario has no zoo license requirement. So you do not need a zoo. Nobody in this province needs a license, rather, to open up a zoo in their backyard, which, frankly, is ridiculous. Mm. I mean, you can't even build a patio in your backyard without a license, yet somehow the province thinks it's okay for people to collect exotic animals, imprison them, and then display them for profit with no regard to their welfare. So we've uh, we've been asking for Ontario to implement a zoo licensing system. Other provinces do have this in most cases. They at least have some sort of licensing regime, and there's no reason why Ontario can't uh, as well. The, the province is the largest one in Canada, and we think it should be a leader in animal protection and not such a laggard, at least not at the bottom of the pack. So we did have a meeting with the Minister of Community Safety to discuss new licensing, and that was very positive. The Ontario SPCA and even CASA, the Canada's Accredited Zoos and Aquariums, have both come out in favor of zoo licensing since the investigation, since the footage was released. And that's significant because we've got law enforcement, the OSCCA, you've got advocacy, animal justice, and then you've even got CASA, the zoo industry lobby group, all supporting zoo regulation. And when all of those interests align, it's a really clear and obvious case for the government to take action. Absolutely. And I guess it's, then it's a game of politics more than anything else. Um, And uh, Ontario politics are a little ugly, I'd call them right now. Um, (laughs) But uh, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, Something I want to talk a bit about is the concept of conservation. This is something I I always bring up. And I think once you've you've heard this explained very well, and and you're the kind of person to explain it very well, um, it changes. And I, I have some friends who live in Bowmanville. And when the zoo was closing, obviously, you know, they're talking to me about it. I'm the the activist or the the vegan they know. So Clearly, I know everything about all animals and all animal rights issues. Um, and they say, well, aren't these animals, you know, who have nowhere else to go or who were injured or who, you know, who's, who are at risk and can't be released? And it's, it's a very common, and I think it's, it shows that a lot of people, they do care about the animals, but there's a lot of misinformation or even disinformation about zoos. Uh, and this ranges from you know, marine land to Vancouver Aquarium down to the Papanak Zoo. Uh, So how do you respond when someone says, you know, what about conservation? These animals have nowhere else to go. It's important for education and so on. I'm glad you brought that up, Michael, because that is a myth. The conservation myth is one that the zoo industry 
very hard to perpetuate because they know that people are at their core uncomfortable with this idea that we are keeping animals in captivity for entertainment. But they also know that people do care about animals and want their wild populations to do well. So if they can cloak the zoo industry in this aura of conservation, then perhaps they can keep it alive for a little bit longer. So they invest a lot of time and resources into trying to convince people that they somehow do conservation work. But the facts just don't bear that out. The vast majority of animals kept in zoos are not from endangered species. Most zoos do not have breeding programs. Uh, certainly roadside zoos do not. I, I wouldn't want to say that necessarily, but the larger zoos. But the number of success stories of animals being bred in captivity and successfully released back into the wild and somehow improving population outcomes is, uh, is infinitesimal. It's not really a thing. And one of the reasons that zoos will never play a very strong role in conservation, in my view, is that the major causes of conservation, they're not breed, or uh, uh, species loss, rather, the conservation concerns, they're not breeding issues. It's not that animals aren't breeding. It's that we are destroying their habitat. Mm-hmm. They're losing habitat that might be from human development or encroachment. That might be from climate change, which is really doing a number on, on wild animal populations. And I'm sure many of your listeners have heard the dire predictions for uh, species extinction if we don't get global warming, runaway global warming, under control. So these are really the concerns and uh, the areas that we should be focused on if we want to protect wild animals. And breeding them in zoos a few at a time is not going to address that problem. Yeah, and that's that's interesting. Um I know of a single breeding program done in a zoo with the intention of release, and those animals are never seen by the public. It's just that the zoo has facilities and veterinarians on staff. But And it's interesting, too, to talk about this because today, um, and we're, I don't know what today is. Today's Thursday. Um, the uh, World Wildlife Fund Canada's Living Index came out and is showing in Canada um, that uh, was a total of, there are a total of 451 species in decline, roughly half the total mammals, birds, fish, reptiles, and amphibians. Um, so like we're, we're seeing almost half the species in our country. And this isn't, and I think this is maybe what happens sometimes when we talk about this, is it's not lions uh, on another continent. It's not panda bears on another continent. Uh, it's not fish in a sea we'll never see. It's, it's the animals right here, um, you know, between where I live and you live, especially, I think, uh, from Hamilton to Ottawa, with all of that habitat loss. Uh, so what would you recommend, uh, and this is kind of going off on a, a slight left turn here, but when we want to talk conservation, when we have people say, I love animals, my kids are learning about animals, they love it, what can they do to maybe both help true conservation and still learn and enjoy uh, uh, in a positive manner what animals are like in the world? Mm, well, that, well, that World Wildlife Fund report really should be a wake-up call for this country. We are losing species and, and losing individual animals at a disturbing rate. And without action soon, some species will likely disappear entirely. I think to answer your question about what citizens can do, I think that we need to keep the pressure up on the government to take these issues seriously. Mm-hmm. Ontario, on paper, has some reasonably good endangered species legislation. The Endangered Species Act appears pretty good, but for many years, the government has been failing to comply with its obligations under that act 
to start recovery plans for animals that have been listed as endangered or threatened. It's delaying, it's blaming the federal government. It really is dragging its heels. And in the meanwhile, these animal populations and animal lives are in the balance. And the same thing goes with the federal government. I know that uh, since the report came out today, I've seen criticism of federal endangered species legislation as well, and the government's actions in not implementing that. Oftentimes what will happen is the scientific committee at the federal level will recommend that an animal be listed as endangered or threatened. And then the minister, who has all the political decision-making authority, will decide for political reasons no, we're not going to list that animal instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, an example of this would be the polar bear. The polar bear has been recommended to be listed for quite some time and never is, and that's likely due to political concerns and the desires to keep the trophy hunt of polar bears open. So citizens can play a role in this fight for animal populations in the wild by contacting elected officials, letting them know that this is a priority and getting involved politically, letting politicians know that you will vote on this issue and that they really need to take animal concerns seriously. That sounds good to me. Uh, the other aspect of this that I want to talk about in the solution kind of realm um, is when we talk about this, and this this is something that I know you'll be familiar with from the, the lovely internet comments about uh, veganism, of all things. Um, <laughs> what are we going to do with all the animals, Camille? We're going to be overrun by chickens. So it's not quite the same, but I think it's actually a reasonable question in this case. Um, while in that argument, it's a little, eh, in the case, especially something like the uh, Vancouver Aquarium, where you've got these uh, in, a majestic animals who are full of emotion and thoughts and consciousness, um, what can we do? Like, is there a way to say, okay, well, this isn't working and we don't want this anymore, but what are we going to do with these humongous animals? Well, you're right. People are saying that this is not working anymore. And I think if we were to start from scratch today, we would never invent zoos. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're a relic of the past. Same with aquariums. But there is an exciting path forward. What I think and what many people are now advocating for is for zoos to move toward a sanctuary model. Get out of the entertainment display business and get into the sanctuary business which uh, is a really important thing when we think about animals becoming orphaned or animals in the wild who need help, but also animals who are in captivity right now who can't be released. When we talk about aquariums in particular, there is some tremendous work being done by a group called the Whale Sanctuary Project, and they're actually looking for locations, including in BC and Nova Scotia, and I think also near Seattle, where they can wall off with a net a cove, a large cove, and make that into a sea pen for animals like orcas, belugas, like dolphins, who can't be released completely back to the wild, but certainly deserve to be out of the concrete tanks that they're kept in right now. So it would be a seaside sanctuary for these unreleasable animals. And I strongly support that. I think most people, when they think about it, agree, that makes sense. Let's get these animals out of tanks and into sanctuaries. And zoos as well can do the same thing. There are already tremendous zoos, uh, sorry, sanctuaries rather, all across uh, the world that do this incredible rescue work. And the difference between a sanctuary and a zoo is that in the sanctuary, they're not kept, animals are not kept there for entertainment. They're kept there because they have no other option. And sanctuaries recognize that their needs have to come first. So they should not be put on display just so people can get some cheap thrills when they see them but that they are individuals with needs that must be always the top priority. 
And sanctuaries typically don't display their animals, although sometimes there's an opportunity to view them from a distance. So it would be a very different model, but a real chance to educate people about animals' actual lives, not just what zoo visitors see when they walk by an enclosure. But sanctuaries, uh, like if zoos move towards sanctuaries and incorporate new technology, there's a huge opportunity to be to use visual reality technology right now where you can put on a pair of goggles and actually be transported into the ocean and be swimming with whales, which is such a more engaging experience than just seeing one inside of a tank. Well, and that's actually sort of plays into uh, my next question that I had. Um, And that is, you know, when we talk about engaging children in particular, and uh, I, I was thinking in that sort of broad sense of how do we, I think, both explain to children why um, a lot of these things aren't good and can we still foster that or grow that love of wildlife you know here in Hamilton we're exposed to all kinds of squirrels and raccoons but we're not seeing wolves we're not seeing whales um, and the only exposure we'd get for that would be in these other environments so how do we have that conversation with people uh, who are much younger who maybe don't have the I don't know how to phrase that. Uh, I, I don't talk about kids a lot, but <laughs> um, how, how do we discuss this? How do we create this uh, this conversation and a culture in the next generation uh, and still engage them in the animals that you and I have come to love? Well, you know what I find really cool is most of the kids I meet are obsessed with dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. I was when I was a kid. So was my little brother. And I've always found that incredible because, of course, nobody's ever met a dinosaur. We've never seen them in person. We have uh, only an understanding of them based on images that people come up with, based on uh, movies that people have developed, and based on other ways of communicating what their lives are without actually seeing them in person. So I find that kids are inspired by so many things and it's easy to to engage them in animal issues. They're so naturally compassionate at that age because they haven't been taught by the world yet that animals are something that we should dominate instead instead of individual creatures that deserve our respect and consideration. So I've actually really had great conversations with kids about these types of issues before and I find that at least in my experience, letting them ask the questions. Uh, you know, typically they know where things are headed. They, they understand that there's something on a gut level not quite right with keeping animals in cages, and they often do want to know more about that. So I always try to encourage them to think about how they would feel in the place of an animal and, and help build that empathy bridge. But, you know, I, I do think that as people stop bringing their children to zoos and as children uh, ask those critical questions, we are really going to continue to see an even more drastic decline in zoo attendance. We can certainly hope so. And for those listening, you can also get, I was actually just thinking about this as you were talking, uh, those VR goggles. You can get ones that plug into your cell phone or your tablet for like 20 bucks right now. Uh, Up to like really expensive stuff that's super quality, but it is affordable for everybody now. So uh, that is something definitely uh, for for folks to think about. And if my wife's listening, Christmas is coming. Um, (laughs) And I want to wrap up. uh, You've explained the cases you're working on and... um, you know, you've, you've talked a lot about solutions, which I really appreciate. That's my favorite part of doing this. And I want to give the opportunity because 
as we know at the Fur Bears, getting into court is not a uh, cheap endeavor, and you guys have a pretty cool initiative on right now. So I wanted to give you a minute to sort of talk a bit about that for people who want to help animal justice directly. Oh, thanks so much for that opportunity. We, we do have a great initiative going on right now. It's our End of Summer Compassion Challenge. And it's essentially an opportunity for people to sign up to become monthly supporters and contributors to animal justice. And um, we have a very generous donor who's offered to match every donation made. So if you sign up to be a monthly donor for the next year and you give $10 a month, that's $120 per year, they will match that contribution. So you're, double, you're doubling your impact with this uh, great campaign going on right now. So if you visit our website, you can learn more and we'd love to have your support. To learn more about the work of Animal Justice or get involved, visit their website at animaljustice.ca. That's the show for this week, folks. Thanks for listening, and please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or on your preferred podcast platform. Send me a screenshot and have a chance to win a gift basket from Lush Cosmetics. Visit me on facebook.com slash Defender Radio or on Twitter at Defender Radio for details. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.